0: Today's episode is sponsored by Crosscut Sewing. Located in Melrose, Massachusetts or online at crosscutsewingco.com, Crosscut offers fun and modern fabric for all of your sewing projects. In addition to quilting cotton, Crosscut offers a wide variety of apparel fabrics like denim, chambray, jersey knit, canvas, corduroy, flannel, and more. Use the code WS. 18 to save 20% on your next fabric purchase from Crosscut Sewing Company. Thank you so much, Crosscut. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 128 of the While She Knapps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a career as an expert in the quilting industry with my guest, Ebony Love. An award-winning author and quilter, Ebony is recognized as one of the leading experts in fabric die-cutting techniques. She's best known as the author of The Big Little Book of Fabric Die-Cutting Tips and the featured long-arm columnist for Quilty Magazine, though she regularly contributes to other magazines, videos, and television programs. She's fond of blindingly bright prints and takes a contemporary approach to traditional designs. Her website is lovebugstudios.com. Ebony Love, Welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I'm excited to talk to you. So let's start off with your background. Where did you
1: grow up? So I grew up in Colorado, but I spent all of the summers of my youth in Louisiana. So I went from, you know, blizzard conditions to uh, ridiculously hot and humid (laughs) on a regular basis. Did your grandparents live in Louisiana? yeah, that's where my family is originally from. Both my parents were in the military, so uh, we were based in Colorado. Um, so the, yeah, Louisiana is where all the family is. you know, uh, a lot of the family is spread now between uh, Lake Charles and uh, Houston, the Dallas area, but that's pretty much where all my family is, except for my mom, who is still in Colorado. Okay, got it. And what branch of the military were your parents in?
0: Air Force. Oh, wow. That's neat. And is that where they met? That is where they met. (laughs) Okay, cool. And so did you grow up like on an Air Force base?
1: Not really. So, so neither of them was a uh, career military, but they were both in, uh, during uh, the Vietnam era. So, uh, my mom was an x-ray tech and she was stationed uh, at Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center, which is actually not, um, not there anymore. They, they, uh, that base closed, I think in the nineties or the eighties, something like that. So, um, so that, I think it must have been the '90s. I'm forgetting how old I am, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that base isn't there anymore. But uh, but they were both, you know, in the military. I was born right on that base, uh, but but uh, I don't recall if we lived on base housing or if we were, um, or if we were off base. But they were not career military, so it was a very kind of short lived experience. I think anybody who's in during wartime does not relish staying in during wartime. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, and, and so,
0: um, but you stayed there and grew up there and then, um, and then you spent these summers in Louisiana and were your family, um, makers, like were they quilters or were they sewing or, um, was that something that you grew up around?
1: You know, it's interesting. I, I remember distinctly my aunt teaching me to crochet. And that was kind of the first craft, if you will, that I had. Um, I think that my grandmother sewed. I remember her having a sewing machine, but it was always buried under laundry. Uh, in the house. <laughs> and uh, so, as I'm sure, like I, I have a sewing machine here that's buried under laundry. It's one of my cabinet machines, you know. And you it just, it's like an elliptical, you know. It just turns into totally. An- electrical the treadmill the sewing machine you know those all get buried in the laundry but that's what I remember I don't, I don't remember my my grandmother sewing very often and honestly it's too hot to sew down there <laughs> you know but uh but I I remember my grandmother did sew the clothes. My 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 mom had five sisters, so it was just a house full of girls, and so you know, at the time that they were growing up, you know, making your own clothes was kind of the the cheaper way to go than store bought, and uh, so I knew that my grandmother sewed, but I don't remember. I don't have a distinct memory, unfortunately, of, of sewing with her. So I came to sewing through home ec classes. And uh, I think my first project was a a dinosaur. So I made a stuffed dinosaur. I made a a, letter letter. Uh, of the alphabet. I think it was an E (laughs) for my initial. And then I got into making heart-shaped pillows. (laughs) So that was, that was actually my first business, uh, around Valentine's day. I would make these heart-shaped satin pillows and sell them to my classmates for Valentine's day and Mother's day.
0: Okay. So, um, home ec class was in like junior high or middle school. It
1: was, I think it started actually in elementary school, We were pretty young in, uh, in Homac and it went in, went through middle school, um, but not high school. By the time I got to high school, there wasn't really Homac. uh, Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: So, but you did have it in school, which I think is, you know, I, that's how I learned how to sew as well, was in home ec class. And, you know, home ec is like a thing of the past now, which makes me so sad. But, um, but I think a lot of people of, I'm assuming you're around my age. I don't know if you mind saying how old you are. Yeah,
1: we are actually very close. We're both August babies. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're we're very
0: close in age. Okay, so I'm 43. So you're you're somewhere close to to my age. Um, so right in our generation, we did still have Mac in school, which was a good thing. And um, and so you had this little entrepreneur entrepreneurial streak in you even back then. So you would sew these little heart shaped satin pillows and sell them around school around
1: Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was it. Was very hilarious, and I remember getting so many orders at one point that I had to co-opt my mother, who does not sew. She is not. She does not have. I think her hobby is to not have any hobbies. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that is like how far on the opposite spectrum she is um, from me. But I remember co-opting her to to help me because I kind of over I oversold <laughs> my ability to sew these pillows. Wow. And, uh, she was uh, she was down there sewing and, and we would um because at the time I don't think I had this necessarily the skill set like I knew how to I knew how to make a template and cut the hearts out and you know and sew the seam around and leave the hole for turning but I didn't know how to sew the lace in because they were all you know I had lace around the outside edge and I didn't know how to sew the lace in because so I think it was in like fourth or fifth grade you know so I didn't know how to sew the lace in into the seam and so all the lace had to get attached by hand so Uh,
0: yeah and you know satin and lace are not the easiest materials to choose
1: we had some very interestingly shaped Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know pillows in there because obviously my my uh uh, my ability to sew around a curve was also not that fantastic but right um, the heart shape you know? is
0: also not the easiest shape if you're going exactly. <laughs> to
1: But you know what when you're selling to other fourth graders like right.
0: <laughs> it's fine <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, my friends and I, we used to sell scrunchies. That was the big, you know, hair accessory, um, yeah. homemade hair accessory. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely, in, uh, um, you know, a little bit of a, of a. that would have been smarter to like, do something smaller. <laughs> you, there's a
0: lot of room for error in a scrunchie, yeah. you know, oh, it, it, it can kind of like be really wonky and it's good. It's all fine. You know, yeah. you can just hide yeah. that seam and <laughs> it's all fine. <laughs> Okay. So, um, so you went on to get a degree in engineering, which is, um, you know, I think it's probably, it's, it's somewhat unusual for girls and maybe a little bit unusual for, you know, women of color to get a degree in engineering. And I wondered if you felt really encouraged in math and science where you were growing up or were you sort of, A single, you know, were you sort of alone in deciding to go and do this, or did you have a particular teacher or somebody who was like believed in you and and sought you out to go and and um and pursue this degree, or or how did that come about?
1: Yeah, so I think. Um, you know, I'd have to say that you know, I'm probably an engineer because of my mother. Um, but, you know, she was always a very strong advocate for education. And I think, you know, looking looking back at kind of the life that she had in, you know, growing up in Louisiana in the house that they had, I think the I think that house was like a, um, a two bedroom house, one floor, six girls, two parents, you know, they're, you know, one bathroom, um, n- no shower, you know, as a bathtub, you know, so somehow you have to get, you know, six girls ready who were all pretty close in, you know, pretty close in age, um, you know, so I think growing up that, you know, she just had a lot of, you um, know, you know, and and Louisiana is still a very, very poor, uh, you know, area. And when the, you know, when industry kind of, you know, pretty big for like oil and gas and, you know, industry down there. And when that, when that economy sort of collapsed down there, like that's a very, it's a very poor, um, you know, st- you know, even statewide, it's a pretty poor. Um, you know, state. So kind of growing, you know, just kind of thinking through that, I think my mom knew that, you know, either the military or education was kind of the way out. And so she was always a really strong advocate for me to get a very good education. And so, um, so she was never, you know, she never took the attitude that like girls can't do math or, you know, girls aren't good for science. She just, you know, whatever I had an aptitude for, she really encouraged that. So, Um, So I was, I think in school, I was kind of equally good at math and science and kind of the more, you know, liberal arts, you know, English and, um, you know, drama, those types of things. And so I actually wanted to go uh, to Juilliard and pursue a music degree. And um, my mom was, uh, you know, her attitude was they don't call it starving artists for nothing. And, um, so I think, you know, her, her position was, you know, go and get, get an education where you can actually earn, uh, you know, earn a steady income and you can always do the, you, know, you can always have the artistic pursuit. So, um, you know, so kind of when I was making that decision about, uh, what I was going to do. Uh, and uh, where I ended up was at Columbia, which has a, a dual degree program with Juilliard. And I didn't look enough into it. It was actually a dual degree program with the with the college and not with the engineering school. But I thought I was going to figure out how to solve that. <laughs> solve that problem where I could go to Juilliard and be an engineer. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that kind of didn't happen. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted. You know, I wanted the best of both worlds. So,
0: right. Okay, right. I see. And so, do you think she was right in the end? I mean, now you're a grown up, and you have um, you do have an artistic, and we'll talk all about your artistic career, which sort of yeah. is alongside of your engineering career, and sort of you know happened and not through the music. I mean, you're a multi talented person. <laughs> if you wanted to have a Juilliard
1: <laughs> career as well, what what music do you play? Um, I was a soprano singer, so. I just, I, I, knew I was going to be a star.
0: <laughs> wow, you are super talented. Okay, so, um,
1: and did you apply to Juilliard as well? So I, uh, so I went to the way that it, it, it worked is you go to, um, you know, you, you have to go for, um, for three years, and then you apply for the dual degree program, and then. You know, and get in. So, so I didn't apply to both at the same time. I actually applied to, um, I just applied to uh, university. I see. And then, you know, and then Juilliard was like the next thing. I so, see. I see. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um. And so now that, so now that you're a grown up and you do have an artistic career, although it, as we said, it's different. Um, do you think she was right? Like you know you're able to earn, you know, with a specialized engineering degree. Um, but um, but you didn't end up pursuing that dream. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, I you know, I think as as much as I hate to admit it, I think you know my mother was probably right darn (laughs) you know but let's be honest um you know making money in the arts is a very challenging thing to do um you know just just from you know if you look at sports like not everybody is going to get that opportunity to reach that elite level and if you're not elite in a sport if you're not elite in music if you're not elite in you know whatever artistic pursuit you have there isn't there isn't a lot of middle ground, you know, you're either, you know, you're either, you know, struggling or, you know, or you're a millionaire, um, you know, in a lot of these, you know, kind of pursuits. So I, I think making money in the arts is, is, um, is a challenge. Now, of course, that doesn't have to be someone's only motivation. Money is not everything. I think that being an engineer and working for, you know, fortune 500 companies has its own sort of stress, you know, stressors and stress levels and complications. And, you know, and I've actually had, you know, I had the opportunity to do, to live both sides. I worked full time for, you know, quite a while while I pursued my business on the side. I had an opportunity to leave corporate America and pursue my art business full time. Uh, and, uh, and recently I made the decision to actually go back to work. So, um, so I'm sort of in a transition period, um, you know, sort of making that decision. Um, but it's, it's quite a challenge, I think in, you know, in the business that we're in to find enough streams of revenue to make it work. And a lot of what we do as crafters and artists and quilters is a lot of it relies on, you know, you're relying on other people having a a feeling that they have enough disposable income that they're willing to part with it to you versus you know working in uh uh an industry that's a little bit more durable like everybody wants to eat. You know, I work in consumer uh consumer package goods so everybody has to eat, you know, so that's pretty stable. Um you know versus uh you know being in the quilting industry like I am, has its you know its ups and downs, its expansions and contractions and things. And having a strong economy is very uh, not to get too deep, but you know there's a lot of factors that um, you know that 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 cause pressure on the creative arts. So it can be very challenging to support oneself, especially if you are you know single. And, you know, sole breadwinner, you know, having to keep yourself uh, in, in uh, you know, food and clothing and all of that. So not to get too deep and depressing, but, you know. No, I mean, I know, think it's a it's, challenge. Yeah,
0: yeah. no, yeah. I think it's a challenge too. And it's a challenge, not even if you're single, but also if you are supporting other people, you know, in yeah. your family um, and have to provide, for example, health insurance for multiple family members mm-hmm. um, or are a caregiver, you know, so there's a lot um at stake and no matter who you are um really so yeah. and it, it can be very stressful uh either way so um okay so i i do want to dig a little bit um, more into that so um so you had a a day job for a long time. Um, and I know you mentioned you were working for a consumer packaged goods company and just to clarify, that's kind of like, um, so explain what consumer packaged goods is. It's kind of like, um,
1: like a food industry, right? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a food industry. It's basically like the middle section of your grocery store. (laughs) Okay. So like, yeah, Yeah. like, um, like Cheez-Its
0: or something like that. (laughs) Okay. All right. Just so people have an image in their minds of what, what is that? Um, Um, all right. And so you were working for a a big company like that doing, um, doing it and you had that day job as you were building a, um, a, a quilting, um, uh, uh, business uh, at the same time, Lovebug Studios at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let's talk about um, how you started to build that um, business. So you talked about, you know, as growing up, you didn't really quilt necessarily, but, um, but then your friends started having babies and you yeah. decided mm-hmm. to make a quilt for, for some of them. And is that the way that you sort of got into quilting?
1: Yeah, that's exactly how I got into quilting. It was, um, you know, I I wasn't really a quilter. I mean, certainly I had, uh, I, I did a lot of, you know, garment sewing and home deck and, and what I used to do with the, uh, you know, these, when I was making those, you know, satin hearts, hearts are kind of funny shapes. so You end up with these funny shape scraps. And I used to, you know, stitch the scrap together, but I wouldn't make quilts. I would make, you know, accessories like handbags and, you know, hair things and, you know, hats and, you know. Um, you know, jewelry or, you know, shrugs or capes or, you know, I would, I would stitch those things together. So, um, or, you know, more pillows, you know, from, from a assembled, you know, fabric from the scraps. So, but I was never a quilter until friends started having babies. And I think a lot of people get into quilting sort of through that you know, through that life, through that life cycle.
0: Yeah. Um, I have found from talking to people, I would say, I would argue that most people who begin quilting, begin quilting through some sort of life cycle event.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like you have to have a purpose. Like I, I don't know anybody who just you know sort of wakes up one day and goes, I think I'm going to make a quilt. <laughs> you know? I think it happens I'm, I'm every sure. now and then,
0: but um, but a lot yeah. of times it's like someone's having a baby or some sort of special event is happening. Someone's getting married, mm-hmm. and they want to commemorate that special occasion in their lives, and a quilt just seems to call to them, and so they decide they're going to learn to do this, and that's the beginning.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it actually was not my intention to um to have a um to have a quilting business. Um I just I made a quilt and I took it to baby shower and it was an alphabet quilt. So, uh, you know, it's basically, you know, all appliqué, uh all different uh you know, it's funny because I tell people now I'm not a scrap quilter at all, but that was definitely a scrappy quilt. So all the letters were Uh, were made from different fabrics and I applicate them on and you put them to squares. It was a very symmetrical design because I'm an engineer. I do grid work. That is is who I am. And, um, you know, I take it to this baby shower and I'm just thinking, you know, I just made this quilt. Not that I just threw it together, you know, hey, I'm going to spend a couple hours, you know, working on this quilt. But you know, I was just thinking, you know, this is something handmade that I made for my friend. And the reaction at the baby shower was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, where where did you get that? And when I said I made it, everyone was just so amazed. They're like, you should sell those. <laughs> and that is like the, you know, that's like the worst.
0: <laughs> I know. We've all heard it, right? Like, you should sell those. <laughs> And you're like, that took me a
1: hundred hours, but okay. Okay. That was the absolute worst sentence you could have said to me because I took it seriously. Um, And not that you can't sell quilts, but you know, selling quilts is just its own sort of special category that I eventually found out. I want to take
0: a minute now to talk to the owner of Crosscut Sewing Company, today's episode sponsor. Here's Stephanie.
2: My name is Stephanie Thiessen, and my business is Crosscut Sewing Company. Crosscut Sewing is a fabric shop and sewing studio located in Melrose, Massachusetts. We have a variety of sort of more fun and modern quilting fabric from manufacturers like Cotton and Steel, Art Gallery Fabrics, Robert Kaufman, Free Spirit, Andover, and Moda. In addition to Quilting Cotton, we offer a variety of apparel fabrics like denim, chambray, Uh, jersey knit, canvas, corduroy, rayon, um, and flannel. Um, We also have a classroom, and soists can rent the classroom by the hour and come and work here. Uh, We also sort of have a focus on teaching beginners to sew and that's um, beginners of all ages Um, we like to empower new sewers to build a lifelong relationship with sewing we want it to be fun and not frustrating so we have everything here that you would need to take a class or come and sew in the shop so you don't have to bring anything if you want to come here we have an after-school program that runs four days a week our adult classes are sort of an open format so people work on different things and learn from each other and use machines that they might not have at home, like sergers and cover stitch machines.
0: And how did you come to open a, a fabric shop? Because I think it's so many people's dream to open a fabric store. So it's always interesting to hear how somebody actually did it.
2: <laughs> um, so it's kind of a funny story. I... I was a graphic and web designer and I was working from home and with my extra time, I would make things and sell them online, um, like on Etsy and craft fairs and things like that. So then I started buying fabric wholesale and then I had extra fabric. So I sold the fabric online as well. And then I really started focusing on that. So I started as an online only business, um, a few years ago and then it was in November of 2016 that it the business was big enough to move into a retail space and um, start teaching as well. We are at 200 Green Street in Melrose and online we are at crosscutsewingco.com. The coupon code is WSN18 and that will take 20% off of fabric.
0: Thank you so much, Crosscut Sewing. And now back to my conversation with Ebony.
1: I started taking commissions from people you know so it was initially you know people at that baby shower sort of you know putting in their orders uh and I actually got um I I I remember going to a uh an event so you know these when you're in corporate uh anytime somebody has like an awards ceremony or something like that like the corporation will like buy a table at the event and so I got to take up a seat at one of those tables and I ended up sitting next to a vice president and he was asking me, you know, what do I do in my spare time? I was talking to him about this, you know, the quilt making that I did. And then he wanted to order one for his, um, his goddaughter who was from China. And so he wanted something that was like really meaningful for her, Uh, So I started researching, you know, Chinese characters and which province she grew up in and all these things. But that was like my first, like, really major commission because it was like, oh, my gosh, I think I charged them like $700 for this twin size quilt, which don't do that. Um, Not for like the super, you know, custom kind of thing, but um, you know, but that was like my first major commission. I was like really excited because, hey, this guy's a vice president. He's, you know, I'm like, I'm on my way to Oprah, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> kind of a thing. All I have to do is, you know, sell, you know, 400 more of these, and I'll be set, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So, um, so anyway, but that's how I kind of got into it was, was sort of taking commissions. Uh, and, and that's how Lovebug Studios started was actually as like a commissioned, um, quilt making business.
0: Okay, got it. Okay, so so you were in business back to that same entrepreneurial bent from uh, from grade school, um, taking commissions,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> a little bit in over your head, making stuff for other people. Exactly. Okay, yeah, back there, and um, but that's cool. And then um, and then you discovered die cutting, and I I kind of love this story. I stumbled upon this story in researching and <laughs> researching. Researching your background, and I thought it was just super charming. So, so now people kind of think of Ebony Love, and they're like, Ebony loves the die cutting queen. Like you're sort of known as the person who's the expert about die cutting. Yeah. Um, and in like the die cutting Facebook groups, people sort of turn to you as the expert. But that was not always the case. And so, case. so explain, <laughs> so explain the very first sort of die cutting, the very first die and how you
1: came to get it and what it was for and that story. Yeah. So, so here's what happened. So I, you know, sorry, I I mentioned, you know, taking commissions and things like that. So, you know, how do you get word of mouth out there? So I decided to start doing craft shows. And, you know, the, you know, the outdoor shows where you bring your own tent and, you know, set up your little 10 by 10, you know, space. And when you're at a craft show, you have to have a variety of things to sell. And so I started and because I'm an engineer, I know that if you're going to sell things at a craft show, you need to have like, like volume, essentially, you know, you have to have things for people to choose from, you need to have different price points. And so I was brainstorming and trying to figure out like, what could I make that's at that would be really quick to make and uh, but that I could put at a reasonable price point, but still make a profit. So Uh, So, you know, pulled out my spreadsheets and did all these things. And so I came up with this idea to do. And I I tell everybody, this is my million dollar idea. And you're welcome to take it. (laughs) You know, ideas are free. So I always put this out here. I've I've never seen anyone take me up on this. But my idea was to have um, to make fabric fortune cookies. And the, like the twist is that they turned into coasters. So they were like dual purpose. And I actually found like these Chinese takeout containers that were clear. And so I had, you know, these, so you get like a pack, you could order a six pack or a four pack of these fabric fortune cookie coasters. But if you know anything about fortune cookies, they start with a circle. (laughs) So, so cutting circles was very important. And when you're cutting a circle out of fabric, I actually had a layer fabric and a layer felt because you need something to sort of keep the moisture from messing up the table, right? So felt was like my, uh, you know, they didn't have cork fabric at that time (laughs) that I was doing this. So the felt was actually kind of the barrier. Um, And, um, but the thing about circles is it's very difficult to hand cut circles. So I started looking around for different tools for cutting circles. And so I tried everything on the market. I tried. Um, I tried acrylic templates. I tried you know circular compass like rotary cutters. I tried just all different sorts of things, and nothing, nothing worked. And then the other challenge was that I needed to finish the edge. And so, you know stitching around them and turn them inside out is very time consuming. You know, stitch around, turn it inside out, finish the, you know, close it. Top stitch it. That's very time consuming. So it was very important that the edge be sort of self-finished. So pinking the edges was very important. And I took a pair of pinking shears and tried to cut through the layer of felt and um, the layer of fabric. And I had these just bright red bruises on my hand. If you've ever held a pair of pinking shears and tried to cut anything, it's brutal. (laughs) It's pretty brutal. Um, And so I just was searching on the internet, trying to find some way for me to to produce these these pinked edge circles in a faster way. And I found this company that said they could make a a custom steel rule die. And I had no idea what a steel rule die was, but it sounded like the thing, you know, <laughs> like that sounded like the solution. So so I called them up, to, you know, talked to them a little bit about what I wanted. It was a five-inch circle with a pinked edge. They sent me a drawing. It was fantastic you know, I was just very excited. And, you know, this is something that people kind of learn about me as they get to know me, but I'm very much like if I have an idea about something, I just take it and I run with it. So no, I didn't do any research about whether anybody wanted these fortune cookies or whether it's a good idea or not. It was just, I had the idea. I have a way to execute it. Let me go ahead and do that. I get this die in. So the company makes the die and the die comes in, uh, you know, I'm so excited. I open it up. It looks great. Problem is, I don't know how to use it. So I call the company and I'm like, this is so great. How do I use it? <laughs> and so their response was, well, you use it. You need a die cutter. And I was like, well, what's a die cutter? <laughs> so that was that was my entry into being the fabric die cutting expert. I knew nothing. So you you
0: ordered a die, but you didn't order a
1: die cutter. I didn't order a diaper. Right. I, didn't even, I didn't even know what that was. And so, but, you know, but somehow, like, I don't know what I thought. Like, you know, maybe maybe I thought, like, you just pressed it down, like, over the rotary mat and it was going right. to be sufficient, you know? Right. And so I don't know what I was thinking, but it, but what I knew is that they could make me the thing that was going to be the answer right. you know, to my problem. <laughs> but, but I didn't really, you know, so this goes back to, like, the whole, you know, I just, I took it and wrong with it. It's like they said they could fix it for me so yeah and I kind of took a bath on that because at the time you could only get custom me made for one machine and it was the big mama and if you were trying to get ready for a craft show like you not you're not sitting there waiting for a sale right so I paid full price for everything uh you know there but I got exactly what I wanted and kind of the funny thing is like after that first craft show I was over the fabric fortune cookie right
0: <laughs> So. you did not become the fabric fortune cut cookie queen you know I that not. that's not your signature product
1: I did not and they had for there were fortunes I wrote all the fortunes that went into the fortune cookies so
0: you know yeah. it
1: was but you know somebody's going to make a million dollars I them, think I'm you sure. need
0: to I think you need to, to make them and give them out at the end of your classes that you teach you know just oh like give God. one to everyone that
1: is- such a good idea I should totally do that because I tell this story I'm sure you tell this
0: story and I just feel like (laughs) at the very end on the way out parting gift you know With the fortunes and them, that's so sweet. I mean, it is a cute idea. So, like, why not just go with it? You know, since yeah, you have to <laughs>
1: yeah. so. die. But you know what? You know, I could say that that was an expensive lesson, but it's it's you know, it was a, a path to a career. Um, you know, because what I what I quickly realized after, and it wasn't just the fabric fortune cookies, but you know, honestly. If you go to a craft fair and try to sell a quilt for the time and effort that you put into making it, you find out pretty quickly that people are not um, you know, they're kind of disdainful <laughs> about, you know, you charging a certain price for, um, you know, and, and I make the distinction craft versus art. I did a lot of craft fairs. Um, and honestly, the quilts that I make, um, you know, while there there's an artistic vision behind it, I wouldn't go so far as to call them art quilts. Um, you know, so, so it's like the, they're different markets and the craft fair market is not about paying you know, fair rates (laughs) for, for handmade quilts. So, um, you know, so I learned pretty quickly that unless I was seriously going to be Oprah's quilter, um, I wouldn't be able to make, uh, you know, to make money, (laughs) um, you know, make a profit, if you will, off of selling, you know, quilts one at a time. And so that's what started me thinking, um, kind of two tracks. Like one is how do you create, um, passive income or ongoing revenue Um, and that is you know not through this one-to-one interaction it's a one-to-many interaction so that's how I kind of got into um, pattern making or pattern design um, is that you know trying to create that I only have to do this once and I can sell it multiple times versus creating something specific for one person and not being able to do that you know, ongoing. Um, so that was one track. And then, um, you know, I think the thing that really put me on the market was this book, uh, the big little book of fabric die cutting tips, um, and, and, and that kind of stemmed from, you know, another one of those, you know, get an idea and run with it. But that book was really just a result of me participating in these online communities. And as these die cutters were getting more and more popular, um, for quilters, um, Cause I was doing a lot of experimenting and I remember when I first got into it, obviously I didn't know what I was doing, but there wasn't a lot of information out there about how to use these things for quilting. And, uh, um, one of the,
0: die die cutters were originally made for scrapbooking. I mean, who are they, who is the original market for them? Yeah,
1: so the the original market was actually the education market. Okay, okay. um, So schools, like all that bulletin board stuff. Right, um, right you know, all, you know, and and so it's funny, like as a kid, you know, all that bulletin board stuff, like it's magical, you know, you come into school and it will be just completely different and, you know, getting, being the person, you know, the person picked to help the teacher with the bulletin board, you know, with the open stapler, that was like the, you know, you're like king of the hill, you know, then, but that's really where the die cutting, um, you know, that was like the first market was education. And then when scrapbooking sort of hit stride, like in the seventies and eighties, that's when, you know, scrapbook, that's when die cutters sort of took a different approach. And it was more, not so much home use, but more like, like create places where like you'd have these scrapbook stores with the paper and the, uh, you know, and the huge collections of dies. And it was like a destination. So you would actually, you know, go and scrapbook at the scrapbook stores. And then, right. you, know, get, you know, they would be, you know, you would actually get die cut pieces, right? It wasn't like, the idea wasn't that the home person would be, would would cut their own shapes. You would go to the scrapbook store, and you would get, you know, you get the beach ball and the right. Um, so it was, it stuff. was
0: almost like a, a communal use. Like the scrapbook yeah. store would invest in this big machine that was pretty expensive. And so you would go, you know, with friends or something like that, or, you know, by yourself and spend some time there, like, you know, on a weekend or at an evening and cut, you know, cut these shapes and stuff like yeah. that. And, and yeah. so that's how you would get them. And then at a certain point, they made them maybe smaller or more affordable or something like that. And they became something that people bought for home. And was that because of quilters
1: that was not because of cutters that was still that was the scrapbook craze okay you know? <laughs> so you know scrapbooking you know was you know it was just so huge and i think somebody saw the opportunity to where you know they could make a lot more money putting it into homes rather than you know having it just be this destination place and you know kind of you know instead of selling the shapes why don't we just sell the you know sell the product and the machine so yeah so the die cutters got smaller Um, they started getting adapted for home use. And so it was scrapbooking, you know, jewelry making, crafting, that kind of stuff. So quilting came, um, you know, a a lot later, not that you could couldn't cut fabric with those machines. But I think at the time, the rotary cutter was the thing. (laughs) Right. That was the revolution in quilting was the rotary cutter. So, um, so, you know, so it's kind of interesting to see, like, within this crafting space, that, these evolutions sort of happened at different times. Um, so I think the the quilting part, you know, probably was you know 90s. Um, you know, 2000s is when you know that kind of aha moment. Um, I, I believe it was 2005. Um, was when the go got introduced, the studio, um, which is the, 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 uh, the cutter that I first had, I, you know, I think that had been around since like the mid nineties, I want to say, um, you know, for, you know, targeted for quilting. So, um, you know, and I think the you know, the resurrection of quilting, what was that late seventies? Yes. Around the 80s. bicentennial. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it took a little took bit. Took a little while. To, Right. Yeah, it took a little while for somebody to kind of get that aha moment, um, you know, for, you know, and at the time, you know, that the studio came out, like the studio was a huge piece of equipment. So again, this wasn't necessarily something that, you know, a lot of people had, um, it certainly required a lot of investment, that machine today retails for you know, $600, So you know, it wasn't, you know, and the dyes aren't cheap, you know, so it wasn't something that everybody, you know, that everybody had, you had to have a kind of a certain level of commitment, a certain level of income to do that until the the machines, you know, got smaller and, you know, cheaper and got produced overseas and those types of things. So, you know, so that kind of went through an evolution um, right. there. Right. Okay. But, um, and
0: so you yeah. were in these um, like Yahoo groups and then and later Facebook groups for people who were sort of getting into this and yeah, yeah, were sharing yeah. information and were you know, trying to figure out how to use them and, and what to do with them and what worked best. And, um, but the information seems sort of scattered, right? Because, you know, those groups aren't necessarily set up as like really organized message boards and that kind of thing. And so, um, and so that was sort of the impetus to, to put it all together.
1: Yeah. And, and I remember that, you know, kind of this distinct moment where, um, you know, anytime you're in a group, and this happens, you know, everywhere. I'm sure I'm sure you've seen this online as well. But anytime you're in a group and you've been there for a period of time, you're no longer the newbie. You're the, you know, you're like the the experienced person. And so you've heard every question. And what was happening in this group is that every day a new person would have purchased a machine or a group of new people would purchase this machine and they find these groups online and they come to the groups and the, you know, their question is, how do I use this? There, you know, there at the time, you know, YouTube was not, YouTube is huge now, but that wasn't, uh, it wasn't huge. When I first, you know, I think, um, was it 2011, 2010, 2011 when I first started making videos, like it was not, it was there, but it wasn't this you know, huge thing. There wasn't all of this technology support for all these channels. And so there wasn't a lot of places that you could go to get this information. And I think the company too was still kind of getting their le- legs under themselves. And so they didn't really do educational types of videos. They did more like sales videos. And you know? is, so this, like the 30- is, is this yeah. AccuQuilt? This was AccuQuilt, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um. So when they were, you know, selling that product, like people would get these machines and not know what to do. And so every day you'd get the same question: well, "How do I use this? What do I do?" And and uh, you know, after a while, you know, some of the ladies on the group were getting kind of salty, like my, you know, because when you see the same question over and over and over again, you know, day in and day out, you know, that can be a little bit irritating. And so I just remember this one like conversation where somebody just had had enough, and they're like, "You know, my goodness, will you just at least?" search before you ask this question because we ask somebody asked this question yesterday and the day before and we keep answering it so why don't you just search <laughs> before you keep asking the same questions that we hear over and over and that's really you know not an attitude for a new that can be very off-putting for a new person and so my response back you know I had to respond to that thread and say you know what you know I remember being new and, and I remember not knowing, you don't even know the language. How do you know what to search for if you don't even know the language of what you're asking about? If you don't know what a die cutter is and, you know, that it's actually a steel rule die and how, right. you know, what things are referred to. If you don't know the terminology, how are you going to search? And, uh, you know, and it's not like these groups or like, like you were saying, they're not, super well maintained, you know, that they're not archived and organized and researched and all those things. And so I said, if you really want to be helpful and want to stop getting those questions, why don't you start a file with the common questions? And we can just point new people to that when they join. And then, you know, we can sort of reduce this sort of initial turn of hearing the same question over and over and over again. And, you know, I waited a couple of weeks And, you know, no, you know, it was like radio silence, right? Like you ask somebody, you know, why don't you do it? And so I was like, fine, I'll do it. (laughs) So, and that's how I got the book. You know, I just, I, I actually went back and I spent weeks going all the way back to the beginning of that group. And I read every single post in that archive and I organized, um, you know, I organized those posts, you know, information and, and um, you know, not organizing on the group, but just organizing it in terms of like, okay, here's the topics that need to be covered and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, certainly the learnings that I had, um, you know, to contribute to it. And it just, it was too big for a frequently asked question. So I wrote a book instead. And that book
0: was self-published? It was,
1: I actually did a Kickstarter. You did a
0: Kickstarter for it.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I did a Kickstarter for it because it's like, it's a very niche. I mean, honestly, yeah. die cutting, it, you know, die cutting for quilting is like a niche within a niche within a niche within a niche. So the market for the that book at that time, I was like, there's, and I did approach a, cup, a couple of traditional publishers, but nobody wants to publish a reference book. And and that's what I wanted to put out there was a reference manual. Um, you know, for this equipment. So you and did all
0: that. Did you ask AccuQuilt about it? Did you go to them and say, I'm gonna create a book that shows quilters how to use your 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 machines and your dyes?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. And I think, you know, initially, um, you know, and this is <laughs> you know, this, this industry is so small. <laughs> it is so small. You know, so some of these things, um, and, and I'm also a very strong advocate of intellectual property. And, and, and so what happened was, you know, I went to, and, and, cause initially I only knew AccuQuilt. That was the only company that I knew that made, you know, dyes. Cause I came into this from the quilting angle and not from the scrapbooking education side. So I actually, you know, and I had no experience or exposure to, um, to these, uh, you know, to kind of to this world. I just I knew the cutter that I had and you know that I had been using, and so my book originally was going to be just covering the AccuQuilt cutters. You know, so I had talked to them a little bit about what I was doing, and I and I actually went to a Spring Quilt Market, and my book was I was going to publish the book in June, and I went to Spring Quilt Market, and I walked down this aisle. And I walked back and I was standing in front of Sizzix and I was like, what's a Sizzix? (laughs) It actually blew my mind that there was something uh, like there was something else. But there was like that there was a
0: competitor.
1: There was a, you know, that there was a competitor, but, you know, not just a competitor, that there's like this whole other world of, uh, you know, like there isn't just one, um, you know, one one company in this, you know, in this market. Cause you know, the group that I was in was actually, you know, the, the online group, it was for, I think the group name was like AccuCut Quilters. Like it was like, it is very, very focused on that. And there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything else. So the world was pretty small. And so that spring market just opened my eyes. And so I got to talking to them about I was like, who are you? And like, what is this? And I've never heard of a physics. And what is, you know, what is this? And what do you do? So they showed me around, they showed me how their machines work. And at that moment, I recognized that if I'm going to put out a reference book to educate people, you know, so they didn't have the same experience that I did, that I needed to understand The whole market and not just this one piece of it. And so I and when you independently publish, you can make these kinds of decisions. So I actually delayed the publication of the book um, so that I could learn about this. So I actually spent that summer um, and Sizzix was super great. They sent me, they're like, you know, pick, you know, circle what you want in the catalog and we'll send you um, the the Big Shot Pro and, you know, we'll just get you situated. And they were super, super supportive, um, you know, of that. And, you know, they have always been like super open and super encouraging and just, you know, just very, very great partners to work with. And I think at that moment that, you know, it was probably not exactly at that moment, but, um, by me making that decision to open up my world to other, um, cutters, um, it changed the relationship that I had with AccuQuilt. And so it was not, um, exclusive. You know, they, yeah, it, yeah, it's not exclusive. And if you look at their business model, you know, honestly, and this isn't, you know, everybody's got different business models, but you look at their business model, their, you know, go line is a proprietary system. It's a closed system. When they make licensing agreements with, you know, their, um, when they do licensing deals, it is a closed system. There is no, um, room from, you know, from a marketing strategy for other, (laughs) you know, so making that decision to open up, um, my book to, other possibilities you know sort of it changed my relationship with them and it was no longer you know sort of this you know let's get because I was just like let's educate I don't care what cutter they use like let's tell people you know I'm like really excited about let's tell people about how great die cutting is and look at all these you know options that I didn't even know was possible um, you know, that, that, were options. And so, so, so that's, you know, kind of, um, you know, at that point it wasn't, it wasn't a possibility to publish the book through, um, you know, using AccuQuil as a resource to publish that book. And frankly, not doing it for Sizzix either, because it, you know, you know, anytime you're, you're trying to create relationships, it's a delicate balance. Of, you know, everybody is great in the industry. We're all friends. You know, it's all fantastic. But when you are working with competing manufacturers, it's a delicate balance to sort of walk that line, to try to be perfectly neutral. Um, And if you're going to do that, then, you know, it can be sometimes challenging to get sort of a universal right. Um, universals. So I've been fighting that battle for, yeah, you know, no,
0: I imagine, I imagine you have. And I think that, um, I think it says a lot too, that you decided to keep going. I mean, I think that there's a certain, um, there, there's a certain feeling of discouragement where you walk down the Isle at quilt market and you see this competitor and you think to yourself, I'm nearly finished with this project I'm about to publish. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I just discovered this whole other thing that I now, and really, in order to do this right, would need to stop this, stop the train and write and learn about this entire other thing. And that's just too overwhelming and just throw in the towel. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. it would have been easy to do that and it would have been a huge loss. So, um, so to be able to have the sort of grit to say, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to pause. I'm going to learn and I'm going to delicately balance between these two brands and still publish this book, um, you know, that requires a lot of perseverance. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I, I just think that that, you know, kudos to you for keeping going. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, and, and figuring it out. So, um, and so I'm sure you have been walking that line for a long time. And just to finish up the conversation about Sizzix, um, so I know that you also have a line of dies that, um, that you, um, created or fun and, and then funded with a Kickstarter as well. And that was a big yeah. dream of yours was to have your own dies that you designed, um, yeah. that cut, you know, a custom shape that creates quilt blocks that you designed. Um, and that's something that, um, as you said, they, these, Different companies have licensing deals with designers so that they can create custom dyes for their own designs. And that's something that both of these companies do. Um, and so I'm just curious. I saw that there was a Kickstarter, and then I saw that you actually had them with Sizzix as well, and so I was a little confused there, and I wondered if you could enlighten yeah. enlighten us on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that was it was kind of interesting, you know. the the That was another line that I had to sort of draw, and the the thing to, to understand is that I have a different arrangement with Sizzix than any other designer has, and so when I when I tell you that. You know, they they have been really open to a lot of to trying different things and um, you know doing things in different ways. And what was really important to me and what I was actually trying to do was um, not have a licensing deal because I I am you know first I think of myself as an educator as a consumer advocate and it was very challenging to sort of make the decision that I'm going to pick you know pick a company you know, or, or pick a format. That was a very um, hard decision to make. And actually what I was trying to find was a manufacturer, um, for dyes. There's not that, you know, there's not many factories that, um, you know, that, that make dyes. Um, but the challenge that I had, because remember, I just like jump into things, right. Um, but, but becoming a a manufacturer and importer of goods was kind of, that was a little bit too far. (laughs) And so, um, so I went to Sizzix and I said, you guys, you know, you manufacture, um, you know, dyes, you have, um, you know, your production schedule. Is there a way that we could work out that I could get production time on your lines to produce these? And so I have a manufacturing agreement with Sizzix. Um, those dyes, um, those dyes, my line of dyes are not in their catalog. Um, they don't have inventory. I have all of the inventory, so it's a very different um, arrangement um, than, you know, than than you get um, as a licensed designer, which is more like, you know, you license your name and your likeness and your, you know, your logo. And, um, you know, you get royalties from sales. This is, you know, I am the distributor essentially for my line of dyes. So I see. Okay. So, so yes, they have the Sizzix name on them. And the way that I look at that is, um, sure, I could have I absolutely could have, you know, found an independent factory and gone through, you know, all of those, um, you know, loopholes and, you know, work and, and you know, taking on the the packaging and, and um, you know, responsibility for, you know, getting them, you know, on the water and clearing customs and all of those things. And the advantage of working with a company that has a trusted name in this business is that I get to take advantage of. The fact that they have like their own QC process, right? Because my dyes are co branded, you know, if there's something wrong with the dyes, you know, I can, you know, go back to Sizzix and, you know, say, you know, make a claim, you know, quality claim, you know, kind of a thing. So, you know, there's a quality check process, you know, that goes through. I can kind of take advantage of, you know, them. They have, you know, CAD designers who, you know, they, you know, they know all this stuff. So I don't necessarily have to like fit, send them completely perfect drawings. I can send them an idea and, you know, and work through the layout and all of that stuff with them. So, so to me, there, there was an advantage of having that relationship. Um, but at the time that I launched the Kickstarter, it was not a signed agreement. And so I couldn't just come out and say, right, you know, I'm getting dyes with physics. It was, I'm, I'm in the process of getting, a line of dyes manufactured is kind of the, you know, the approach that I, you know, that took. So yeah, a lot of people were confused by that, especially when they saw the packaging They're like, but these are Sizzix dyes and why, (laughs) like, what, like, what just happened? And um, so it was really just the, you know, just the, the being able to cut the, you know, cut through the noise a little bit. Cause I think if I had, you know, sort of gone down the path of becoming an importer and a manufacturer of these things and finding my own, um, you know, finding my own factory um, in China to do this. I actually tried to do it in the United States, and it was oh, I couldn't get the I couldn't get the price and the volume to correspond to what I needed to get to. You know, so it's all a numbers game, right? I can't come out with a die that has a retail price of two hundred dollars, right? Nobody's going to pay for that, um, or very few people would pay for that. I have a couple of people, you know, very close friends that I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't mind. I'm, just a I'm working right now on
0: an article about the trade tariffs, and this is, um, very much center of mind for me. So I totally hear you. Um, okay, but that totally explains that. And, um, so I know you had mentioned that you've recently gone back to work. Um, and, but I know you're still going strong with Lovebug Studios, and, um, we didn't get a ton of time to talk about some of the cool things that you, um, that you do with your quilt alongs and some cool,
1: you, you've got lots going
0: on. So I wanted yeah. to make sure, um, that that you have a chance to talk
1: about what's coming next. Yeah. So um, I've got a few um, sort of teaching engagements coming up. So um, I'm teaching for the first time at Wisconsin Cool Expo. And uh, I uh, I did a Facebook Live the other day in in one of my groups and, you know, was saying, like, this is the first year of – you know, Quill Expo without Nancy Zeman. And so it's sort of bittersweet for me to sort of have my first teaching engagement and it's the year that she has, she is not with us. Um, so um, so that's kind of, um, you know, kind of, uh, that's kind of coming up in a couple of weeks. And so that's kind of very poignant for me. Um, you know, personally, you know, um, I didn't, I never got to go on her show, but it was kind of like, yes, I get to teach it, you know, teach at Cool Expo, which was very highly connected to Nancy. So, um, so that's coming up. Um, I've got some, um. Uh, some classes at both quilt market, fall quilt market and uh, fall quilt festival. So I've got some business classes as well as um, some die cutting uh, classes. So that should be pretty, um, you know, pretty fun. Um, Everybody's asking me when is the, the uh, uh edited you know the second edition of you know big little book coming out it's coming i know i've been saying that for a little while but one thing about being an independent publisher is you get to set the publishing schedule and that can be a good thing and a bad thing <laughs> so um so yeah it's it's coming it's on my it's, uh, you know it's on my head and and uh, at my desk uh, to to finish those finish up those edits um, I've got a fabric line coming out in the spring with Island Boutique. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. You know, that's like, that, I never, that was not, I have to say that wasn't on the bucket list, but when it kind of, when the opportunity came, I was like, okay, that's on my bucket list no, now. It is now. <laughs> right. You know, so I kind of feel like it's like I actually have like a full, you know, I've got you from soup to nuts, right. You know, I've got the fabric, I've got tools, I've got dyes, I've got, um, you know, patterns and, you know, the classes online and the class in person. So, yeah, but it's, it's definitely a, um, you know, a, now that I am back working, I've got to start making some decisions about where do I pull back? Because, uh, you know, certainly, when you're doing this full time, you can do a lot more things than if you have sort of a limited, um, you know, amount of time. So I think that's going to be a challenge for me is to figure out what do I, you know, what do I cut back on? Where do I, um, you know, where do I sort of, um, you know, pull back? So maybe I'm not teaching in person as much anymore, or, you know, maybe I only do fabric lines once a year or, you know, something like that. So, um, so, you know, I have to see like what impact that's going to have, but certainly, yeah, I still do the online mystery quilts. We're doing Northinger Abbey. So I've started my ostentatious mystery quilt adventure and that's A-U-S-T-E-N ostentatious. (laughs) Nice. So um, so I'm actually doing a, miss, a whole mystery quilt series and we're kind of working our way through the Jane Austen book. So started with Northanger Abbey. We're using um, a beautiful um, line, um, Sequoia um, from uh, Laundry Basket Quilts, the Andover line. Um, it's just, it's gorgeous. I mean, Andover has just gorgeous fabric, but we're using that line for the Northanger um, you know, quilt. So we'll picking the next Jane Austen book coming up um, pretty soon um, I'm not doing Pride and Prejudice yet I think Pride and Prejudice in like 2020 um, but uh, you know but so uh, we'll pick another book and then we'll do Pride and Prejudice um, we'll do Pride and Prejudice quilt along so um, so those are just you know some things that are going on here and then just getting used to the commute oh my god
0: <laughs> my bad
1: that is not something I look forward to, I have to say.
0: <laughs> I know, especially when you're at, when you're used to having no commute, you know?
1: Exactly, exactly. It's like just coming up with, and, and it's not like I haven't done this balance between, you know, work and, um, you know, work and the business. It's just that I have to find a new, like, there's a new equilibrium somewhere and I haven't found it yet, so... Right. Okay.
0: Great. So people can head over to Lovebug Studios and check out the quilt along and your teaching engagements and all of those things and, um, and figure out where to, where to see you next and all of that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And, um, I want to make sure we get to your list. So you have a couple of, um, cool things to recommend. The first one is a color app or game called Blendoku, which, um, you said is really fun for testing your color sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this app, it's kind of like, it's like Tetris and a crossword puzzle. <laughs> and, um, and like this color app. So so yeah, so you're basically, what happens is you get like a pattern, um, like a pattern of squares. So let's say it's like a cross, right? And then they give you a selection of, of um, color graded Um, squares that you are putting in color order so it could be something where you're going from you know like a really easy one would be going from a light purple to a dark purple right but uh, as you get into the different levels of the game it gets more complex and you get more complex shapes to fill and multiple colors so I think I'm up to a level where there's like four different um gradients like it'll go from purple to teal to you know, yellow <laughs> to red. And like somehow you have to figure out like how to get these uh, different gradient squares into the right order so that they're blended. Um, you know, blended appropriately. And and in some cases, like the colors are very close together. So um so it, it's it's fascinating and it's addicting. So yeah, <laughs> it's, fun like, playing
0: that. It's probably good for like sharpening your color sense, right? Like yeah. it's almost like doing exercise you know like it's exercises for your that that portion of your brain which is yeah. p- probably good for you um, yeah definitely. yeah okay and then the Robo- robot congress podcast i haven't i've heard of a lot of podcasts i have <laughs> never heard of the robot <laughs> Congress podcast. So what is this about?
1: Yeah, so this is like, I think this is, you know, this goes back to, uh, you know, to me, this is almost like where um, engineering and uh, it's like where the engineering arts kind of intersect, you know, again, but um, so what, um, what the the hosts of the show do is and why they call it robot Congress is because it's like, um, they explore issues in technology law. So technology, moves faster than the law does. And so they explore different issues around um, things that are happening in in technology and how we solve some of those um, how we solve some of those challenges. So um, an example, and you're probably wondering like why is that even fascinating? Um, You know, but they talk about um, like copyright. And, um, you know, the impacts of the the, um, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And um, so while they're not necessarily talking about quilting, you know, law and quilting, there are some parallels that you can kind of draw. Like they they went through, um, there's a lot of like, uh, a lot of these copyright um, and trademark issues come up in uh, gaming. So um, while I'm not a gamer myself, um, you know, you can kind of draw some, um, some parallels um, to the quilting industry. Like I'm a pattern designer. And so we have, you know if you're distributing your patterns online and creating um, digital copies, Um, when you sell that, you're licensing that copy to someone. So you're allowing them to, you know, take that. So what happens if you, if they create another copy in a different version or um, if they're transferring it to a different computer and, you know, the type of thing. So, so I love listening to that podcast just because I think the topic is very interesting about, um, you know, how we. Um, how technology how the law keeps up with technology or vice versa or how we apply our our sort of outdated laws because by the time you update the law the technology has moved on so it's one of those things where you know we're sort of always behind but um, what I find fascinating and what I try to do a lot of times too is like look to different industries to find parallels to the one that I'm in because you can sometimes get some ideas about how to um, you know, how to approach different things. And so, um, so I posted the other day, uh, about that, um, the, the, there's a, a video that the Velcro company came out with to encourage people to stop calling hook and loop tape Velcro, um, so they can protect their trademark. And I actually heard about that video from robot Congress. (laughs) So, So I don't know if you had seen that video before. Yes, I
0: love that video. It's, it's hilarious. True. And um, I never refer to Velcro. I always refer to it as hook and loop tape. Although when I wrote my book, they were very insistent about that. So I sort of already knew about it. But after watching that video, I was like, absolutely not. It will always be hook and loop tape. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's tape. super brilliantly done. And it's hilarious. Um, they did a great job with it. But yeah, that no, that sounds great. And I, I do also really love that idea of looking Looking to other industries um, to sort of think through your own industry, um, especially in craft where, you know, there's just not a lot of sort of serious research and journalism Mm. and um, law that's sort of applied to it. Um, however much I wish there were. And so um, I often, you know, sort of as a journalist, look to the tech industry and um, look at tech journalists and sort of see what how they're doing their craft and think about how I can apply it to our industry. And so I've learned a lot that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, le- I really like that idea. And I, I do that all the time. Um,
1: yeah. And I, I tell people a lot of times like, you know, yes, I, you know, I, I own a business that is sort of quilting. Focus, but I actually own a a publishing company and a technology company. Yes, <laughs> you know, well, like, we all own. Or- yes,
0: we all own technology yeah. companies. I mean, I, exactly. I just I do really approach it that way. I mean, I own a website. That's the way that I see it. It's like I yeah. own I own a website, and the website happens to be about this particular topic. But but it's a website. Um, and if I were to sell it, I'd be selling a website. You know, right. so. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Ebony, this has been super awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Wall She Knapps podcast.
1: Yeah, this was so fun. Like, like you said at the beginning, it's, it's like a, uh, well, I don't know if you said this at the beginning. <laughs> Sorry.
0: I'm Probably it was before we record. started recording, but yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, wait a second. I think I'm beforehand.
0: <laughs> but what I always tell people before we start recording
1: is that it's like we're sitting down for coffee. <laughs> Right, So that is actually what it felt like. I was like, oh, well, like, I never, I never get to see you in public. Right, <laughs> so exactly. So I it's never like... get to sort of sit down and have these kinds of conversations. So that's, you know, so that's really fun. that I've kind of like, I've known you for, you know, known in quotes, like I've known you for a while, we we have never actually sat down and had a conversation. So yeah,
0: I know exactly, which is why I love having a podcast.
1: Because so. <laughs> yeah, then I get so to sweet. call up all these people and just chat,
0: which is my just chat, yeah. I thank know. you so
1: much for having
0: me on. Uh, well, thank you. And you've been listening to the Walsh naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, napps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing blog and small business delivered right to your inbox each week today's episode was brought to you by crosscut sewing located in melrose massachusetts or online at crosscutsewing.com crosscut offers fun and modern fabric for all of your sewing projects in addition to quilting cotton crosscut offers a variety of apparel fabrics like denim chambray jersey knit canvas corduroy flannel and more Use the code WSN18 to save 20% on your next fabric purchase. Thank you so much, Crosscut Sewing. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.